0: Hello and welcome to the Leading Line podcast, uh, I'm your host Tress Marshall and today I am joined by somebody not from the pitch but from the dugout as I'm joined by Rangers and Scotland Youth International goalkeeping coach uh, Nicola Hardy. Nicola, thank you very much for coming on.
1: No problem
0: at all Chris. Um, how, I know we've had a chat beforehand but how, how
1: you doing, how's your last couple of months been? Uh, the past couple of months has been different. Uh, to say the least it's been challenging but also really rewarding to have so much time to kind of work um, and develop kind of different skills that maybe I've never had the time to do um, or put in as much time to learn so it's been a productive couple couple of weeks couple of months um, but ready to get back on the pitch now I
0: was going to say obviously being a coach it it does a lot of interaction with other people lots of being out and about Um, Mm -hmm. it's quite a contrast to having to stay in your house pretty much 24 7 at the moment. Um, how's how's that felt?
1: Yeah, it's, it's been completely different to anything that I've ever kind of experienced before. I think it's been amazing the amount of kind of online time that we've actually managed to develop and, you know, using so many different platforms to coach. It, it's kind of opened my eyes to, you know, different ways to communicate to players, different ways to support players, and that that can all actually get done remotely as well. Obviously on the pitches, you know, with the majority of your time, and you know, the value comes on the pitch, but also there's so much support that can be done from home. I, would you expect, and it's something that I've found
0: myself during this this kind of conversations like this. For example, I would usually strive to do face to face, but actually, no, this works. Is it okay, something that <laughs> <laughs> is it something that you would um, when kind of things go back to whatever version of normal we go back to? Is this ability to do things remotely, something that you think you'll carry on even once everything's back up to full speed?
1: Yeah definitely not, maybe not to the extent that you know I'm using it just now but definitely it just opens up a a completely new avenue to communicate and help people. Um, You know the luxury of you can share your screens and you know you can really talk people through things that Maybe they didn't understand or or maybe they didn't feel comfortable doing it face to face. So it gives you a, a, a different type of opportunity to help people learn. Nice. Um, what we'll do is we'll talk a little bit
0: about your career first of all, then we'll maybe get into a bit more about coaching. So talk to me about your kind of upbringing in the game. Um, did you, I'm guessing you probably played when you were younger. What's what's your kind of story?
1: Yeah. So you know the classic got into the the school team um, and with all the boys. And from there I kinda of joined my more local team at the at the time, which is Cumbernauld, um through Cumbernauld with Cumbernauld Cosmos. Um I think I was there two, three years. And um, I originally I wanted to be a left wing, um, but yeah, that did not happen very well. Um one day I got flung in goals. You know, the goalkeeper didn't turn up and off I off I went into my five a side pitch and kinda of took to like a duck to water. It's not something that i kinda of thought about but I really enjoyed. So, I decided to kind of specialize more in the goalkeeping side of things, and a few years later moved to celtic um, and with with that move, I ended up with um playing with the national youth teams and getting a kind of different experience of football through that um probably stopped playing football seventeen eighteen stopped you know quite young, and then started pursuing coaching from there um what in terms of goalkeepers people say goalkeepers
0: are a bit different. Do you feel a bit different? The fact that you were quite happy to kind of go on goals?
1: Uh, I think it, oh, everyone always says, you know, goalkeepers have got to be that wee bit different. Uh, you've got to have a probably a more resilient personality. Um, you are in an isolated position at times. You do have to do a lot of training that's in smaller groups, but you also need to have the ability to understand all the other information that the outfield players are, are going. And they, they talk about the goalkeeper union, but you know, working with two or three goalkeepers, the support that they actually give to each other is unreal. Um, I know I'm very fortunate that the goalkeepers I work with are so supportive of each other's development um, and it, it just creates an environment that's really, really positive and, you know, everyone's wanting to learn. Yeah, you, you mentioned
0: you kind of stopped at 17 18. What, what mm-hmm. kind of made you make that decision?
1: I think that there was a lot kind of going on Um from a kind of personal point of view, I wasn't keeping maybe the best mental health, and I decided, you know, at what point am I going to put my education first? Am I going to put my football first? And I got to a point I just did not know what I wanted, um, and I made that decision at the time to you know maybe stop playing football and and see what other avenues opened up. But fortunately for me, the coaches I had around me at the time um, kind of understood what I was going through and kind of guided me straight into a coaching um, coaching side of things so I think all in I maybe managed to get six weeks of you know taking a wee bit of time to myself and then I was right back in the environment but just in a different capacity.
0: In terms of the, doing the coaching um, how did you take it straight away or did it take me a while to kind of bed into it obviously it's a little bit different from playing because there's quite a lot of theory
1: behind what kind of what you're doing um yeah. how was that kind of transition for you? It was a long education, I think, um, and getting a lot of things wrong. Um, Gary Doctor, who was my coach at the time, um, he was my regional coach and then helped me at club as well. Uh, he'd got me involved with coaching within the council, um, kind of doing you know, youth sessions and stuff. And I'd never, ever taken a session in my life. Um, so, yeah, it, it took me a wee bit of a while to to maybe understand how you have to communicate as a coach is completely different to how you communicate as a player. Um, there's a lot more planning and things that go behind the scenes. Um, and yet, stay, it's still a journey. It's, going to, it's always going to be a journey trying to improve yourself. Um, but yeah, it maybe didn't come to me as naturally as I'd wished. Um, I wished. But I feel like I'm getting there now. Uh,
0: I mean, I think we'll probably talk quite a bit about goalkeeping because it's something I haven't really covered yet in the podcast. And mm-hmm. I think somebody who was a lapsed goalkeeper maybe in my youth, it's probably fair to say. Um, well, there's been kind of lots of chat about women's goalkeeping over the last five, ten years, um, especially after the World Cup uh, and during the World Cup. And one of the kind of pretty tired tropes is that women goalkeeping isn't very good. And I think the World Cup actually probably contradicted that quite strongly, which was great. What's your kind of take on on that as a as a hot take from somebody?
1: I think historically it's a position that's maybe been neglected a wee bit. um You know, the goalkeepers, the you know, youth goalkeepers maybe don't get the attention that they need or that they're getting elsewhere. So inevitably, without, without proper coaching, you're not going to be able to produce the highest quality goalkeeper. Um, I think that's definitely changed or changing over the past kind of couple of seasons. Clubs are putting in youth goalkeeping coaches, they're supporting coaches to get a better education um and how to support that player. But it, it needs more work, it needs more attention. The goalkeepers need a better education and understanding of that position if we want them to kind of flourish. Um so it can only improve, it can only get better. Uh, and I think that is gradually kinda of happening within Scotland. One of the the wilder suggestions, is that fair to say? Yeah. What is it? Okay. Um,
0: is it uh, kind of round about that kind of World Cup? You know, Demi He's Chelsea head coach, really successful. Obviously, just won the WSL. She so kind of made this suggestion about making the goal smaller and the pitches a bit smaller. Well, I, my reaction to that was that that felt a bit mad. But as, as somebody who coaches goalkeepers, what what was your take on that that idea? I thought it was a bit of a strange comment. Um, I personally don't
1: think that the goal should change size. The pitches should change size because you know women athletes are completely different from what they were you know two three years ago so what's saying in two three years time you know the game's not going to develop more that their capacity's going to get so much better and bigger you know the technology behind or the support that these players are getting is always improving so you know can you train smart you know rather than start changing dynamics eh, dimensions you know can you develop the goalkeeper in specific ways or develop the outfield player to adapt to challenges that you might have just um, that you might have
0: what well, with that in mind then and let's be fair emma is a very successful coach so yep. and she's and she's also very very open in terms of her opinions which is great it makes conversations like this and on a wider scale that much better as well and in, in your <laughs> So you're speaking about kind of the way you coach goalkeepers. What what's some of the like the fundamentals at day one goalkeeping, especially when you're kind of trying to get young young players into it. What's the kind of stuff that you
1: try and instill kind of early on? I think you really really need to strip it back, and it's sometimes not not the most exciting type things. Uh, you you see all, quite a lot of things on on social media now, and goalkeeping's tried to be made. To look like something completely different with tennis balls, and you know you 've got water mats kicking about you 've got people playing on the beaches, but for me, you need to completely strip it back and you know look at your footwork, understand how you should be moving effectively, understand why you need to move effectively and you know work work on those basics how how do you catch a ball? Do you know how to catch a ball? do you know how to pass a ball, kick a ball it 's really understanding the small details um and unless you don't understand those details it's it, you're going to be limited how much further you can go you mentioned tennis balls and waterbeds I mean I've seen
0: some pretty uh, interesting takes in goalkeeping coaching what do these work well, what was your take on them?
1: I think definitely there's a place for some of the content i've seen I think um you know you can be clever with equipment you can use you can use it to work your coordination it can be a quite a reactive activity so in those in that sense it's great um but in my opinion unless the basics are there your technique's not going to improve by using a tennis ball or ping pong balls or you know the 101 things that you know are out there to kind of support it's having the base first and then using these things to maybe improve and and speed up those techniques um, and become more reactive. But I don't technically think it should be used as a development tool um, until a lot later down the line. Do you think maybe,
0: and you use the word content there, which I think is really good, because I think it is content. It's not it's not necessarily, as you say, a, a development or a coaching tool people are putting out. It's social media content to get views mm. and likes and such that. Do you think yeah. actually they could be a bit detrimental to somebody when it comes to coaching goalkeeping because they see this maybe on social media and then they come down to a training session and, you, as you say, they're kind of stepping over ladders or they're just kind of catching balls for like 20 minutes straight. Do you think that kind of gives a, a false perspective of what that could be?
1: Yeah, I think it, it can maybe give a false perception. Um, it also it shows that, you know, different thing, you can do so many different things with goalkeeping. You can do, you know, you see one-to-one outfield training that's the same. And there's so many different creative ways, and it's great that there's so many different coaches now trying to engage people differently. Um, if that engages a young player to get into goalkeeping, especially a young female goalkeeper, then that's fantastic. It's then how do you create that balance of you've got a kind of different style to coach in, but also bringing in those basics and bringing in you know fundamentals that are going to help them long-term um rather than just continually having enjoyable, fun tennis ball filled sessions. Do you, you mentioned earlier on that your move into goalkeeping
0: was because you were outfield they wanted to be a left winger and one day you're just like, oh gonna go in goals, please, Nicola? And you were <laughs> like, Yeah, sure. Yeah. Do you do you have do you have like young girls who actually want to just first thing they say is oh we going goals? Is that, is that something that's coming more prevalent or is it still a bit of a transitional move back?
1: I definitely think um there's more girls that are open to going on goals. I know from um I worked at a development officer at a and they would they would always fight over the gloves. Um, they always wanted a shot in goals. Um it was trying to get them outfield, that was a problem. <laughs> um I, I think that tends to change um as they maybe get slightly older when they hit under thirteens they want about I, I think they want to understand the full game a wee bit more. Um but again, I definitely think a goalkeeper is a certain type of character. You've got to have a certain, you've got to have certain characteristics. Um, and yeah, if they're there, it's brilliant. But sometimes it takes a wee bit of a longer journey to get there. Like you see abroad, um, you know, taking kids out in netball or or different type of sports maybe later on because they do have the the fundamentals of a goalkeeper. You know, they might be athletic or their hand eye coordination is already there, so it, it might not happen. Kind of when you're younger, it, it might be a slower process, and when you're older, kind of go down that pathway as well.
0: Yeah, and I suppose the other thing with goalkeeping is it's one, it's probably the position in the part where almost you get better the older and older you get until you eventually hit that kind of that ceiling. But uh, let's let's talk about kind of your current uh, current career. You mentioned you were kind of started at Celtic, but you're at Rangers at the moment. Um, how did that that
1: move come about? Um, first of all, um. So when I started, I was working um, at Stirling Uni. I studied at Stirling Uni and I was working with BSC Glasgow at the time. And I was working, you know, Saturday, Sunday and most evenings coaching. And Amy McDonald, had asked, would I like to get involved with Rangers um, in my final year uni- university? And I ended up going there and, you know, working part-time, uh, volunteering within the club for two or three seasons. Um, and then recently, obviously, you know, Rangers have went full time and taken a massive kind of a step in and making the most professional environment possible. And with that, the opportunity came up to to join the team full um, time as a women's goalkeeping coach. So I think it was just an opportunity that I didn't want to let go. It's something that, as a Ranger supporter, was really really exciting. Um, from you know, going to the training ground at seven, eight year old and doing community sessions to so now that being my workplace was something that I probably never thought would be able to happen when I was younger. So I'm very grateful that, you know, I'm in a position now that my love's my job. Um, so it's excellent.
0: Yeah, I think that's what everybody wants the,
1: yeah.
0: at, at the heart. I think that's what everybody would love to be able to do. Um, you mentioned obviously that there has been a, a lot of investment in, in the women's side at Rangers recently. Uh, for you as a coach, what have you, what difference has that made to you in terms of your day to day with the, with the players? And obviously, it's brought in some. It's, it's brought in a step up in quality. It's probably fair to say that in terms of Jenna Fife and, and Megan Curran coming in in those goalkeeper positions in the last couple mm. of months. Um, what's that meant to you as a as a coach?
1: I think it's. It's given me a lot more time that I've never had before. Um, you know, working part time, I, I was working four different roles. So trying to run to training, um, you're not given or you can't give the attention that's needed. So now being able to have that luxury of time and support staff, and you know, a real, real good unit of people that are all looking to develop each other. Um, and I think that's the main thing. Everyone's looking to develop each other as well as themselves. It gives me the opportunity to. You know, find different ways and talk to people, get people's different views, you know, view, you know, some real top coaches in the game um, and take, take ideas from them, work on myself. And it, it's just open bias to all the small details that, you know, they need to be there to, to help people become successful. Um, and look, well, fortunately enough now, we, we've got the time to do that. We've got the facilities to do that. And we've got the environment that can only help people grow.
0: You're also involved with in Scotland?
1: Uh, Coaching the youth
0: levels, uh, you kind of touched on that earlier on, but is it? I th- I'm guessing you have to change your approach from like um, spending like a full day with like Jena and, and Megan, very experienced. Jenna's obviously mm-hmm. a, in the Scotland squads at the moment to kind of help and support the kind of next generation. First of all, how how did the Scotland arrangement come about, and then what what do you do slightly differently when you're changing from that one group to another?
1: Yeah, so I got involved with the national teams when I'd um started kinda of getting into coaching and Lindsay Hamilton was one of my coaches at the time who took under seventeens and kind of sixteens at the time. So I'd been invited in just to kind of shadow what they were doing. It was kinda of an interest. I wasn't sure whether I was gonna go down the coaching pathway path at that point. So I was trying to kinda of view as many people, get a kind of flavour for it, did I like it? Um so I spent probably year and a half going to camps, doing regional training, um, volunteering. Um, I spent a lot of time volunteering and trying to learn from a lot of different people to find out if this was the path I wanted to go down. Um, And then, you know, I got asked, I got the opportunity, did I want to come in and help support at a under-15s camp and took that opportunity and and since then kind of been involved trying to help the under-15s and under-16s predominantly.
0: I'm guessing one of the pieces of advice you'd give to anybody who's looking to start coaching is take opportunities when they come. It seems very much a recurring theme as as we're talking.
1: Yeah, it's take the opportunity, but also take your time. Um, There's so many things that go into being a coach um, that I probably didn't appreciate. Um, And you know, go and learn off as many people as you can. Go, go have different opinions. Form your own opinion as well. and just try and take as many experiences as you can and really digest them um, and create your, your own unique style.
0: Cool. Sure. Um, one of the things that is becoming more and more prevalent in recent times is player data. Um, yeah. Everybody's kind of seen them now, players kind of going on and off the pitch with the, the, the kind of data vests on. I know that's something mm-hmm. you're particularly interested in, you've kind of gone on board with that, a company called Player Data in regards to that. Well, well in terms of data, like, I, I like data. My previous life, before I decided that I wanted to work in sports media during a world crisis, was <laughs> uh, was in data and banking. Mm-hmm. So, like, what, what does data, like, in terms of player data, what has it done for the game in terms of helping your understanding?
1: I think from for my involvement in the game, um, when I started coaching, it wasn't even a thing. Like, it, it wasn't something that was even accessible. Um, I think I, I've been involved with player data for three or four months now. And the education they've given me um, to how I I can use technology to support players is, you know, immense. It it, it really is. It's probably been a wee bit naive to how much it can support players. Um, You know, for injury prevention, for instance, you you can nearly predict when a player's, when they might not feel it. You you can already have the data in front of you to know that, you know, they might need a wee bit extra time or they, they might need that extra rest there. We need to, you know, help. What what are they eating? Can we help, you know, support that player a lot more? So I think the more information you can get on a player and how they're feeling and, you know, what load are they under c- can only help. Um, and it's how, how to analyse that data is really, really important and, and take it for, for what it is and not look into it. Um, you know, you, you need to be able to understand it correctly.
0: So, I mean, I mentioned the vests. That's, that's the first mm-hmm. thing I always think of. And I know that there'll be a laptop somewhere. But yep. is that the only way that data is collected, or is it what other ways is it kind
1: of brought together? Yeah, so predominantly you've got you know your vest. I think most people will will have seen the kind of vest that you put on, and you've got the chip in the back. Technology's just moved on so much. Um, you know, player data. Look, at, I've got live data, so you can have you know all, all your players on the pitch, and you can understand the output that they're doing live. Um, it's maybe something that but well, I've not really been experienced to that before. it was been able to see it live when people are moving. It's usually been after, so to end up or or to help create training zones that are most effective, having that information in front of you, um, it, it's um un- it's unbelievable. It's really exciting, um, and it's such a it's such a useful tool to be able to you know really specialize in what you want to do and and get the outcomes that you're looking for. Is there any ever any time where you think? Oh, the data's telling me one thing,
0: but as a coach, and as somebody, as you say, it's still a new thing and it's still a developing tool for a lot of people. As a coach, it doesn't feel quite right. Do you ever like, question the data and maybe go against it?
1: I think that comes through discussions with the player. Um, ultimately, they because of the level that they're at, they should know their body the best. Um, I, I wouldn't say I've ever went against it, um, because I've probably not got the deepest understanding of it so Abidol's, you know, rely on the sports science team to kind of break it down a wee bit more and at Player Data are really lucky the fact that, you know, with their kind of package that you get access to a sports scientist that's worked at, you know, real high levels of the game so they're going to understand it a lot more than me but it's, used, it's just used as a support tool um, and ultimately hopefully the sports scientists can understand <laughs> that I'm, I'm more depth than me and break it down for me. In terms of goalkeeping, then is a uh, what because obviously different
0: position. We've talked about it already. What what specifics do you, do you kind of, look to gather, or look to understand when it comes
1: to the goalkeeping role? Yes, so, like can kind of GPS isn't used as much in goalkeeping as it would be for you know outfield players, but yeah, of it is a it's a really good tool to especially just now. Um, the amount of information we can have and that we're collecting remotely is amazing. Um. so you know if your team wasn't full-time all that information can get done I know like you go for, for instance acceleration deceleration and top speed are, are really really important for an athletic goalkeeper yeah. uh, they've got to be quick they've got to be able to move in a certain way so using that information to monitor their progress how quick are they getting or the changing direction quickly Um. you know as it may be is it slowed down? Is there a reason why they' slowed down? are they doing too much of one thing? and it's just information against your ideas that you know as a coach then you need to go look at and and try and understand and put into practice.
0: And with it all being remote at the moment, it is there anything that's specific is it like a routine that that you've got in place just now with the the keepers that you kind of work with in terms of this is what they do every day or is it, as you say, they kind of know their body. You, you trust them to kind of get it done, and then you'll just look at the numbers in the back and then take it from there.
1: Yeah, like the goalkeepers and you know all the players are fully trusted. Um, you know they are full professional athletes, um, so they have that responsibility, and it, it's not something that you ever need to worry about. They do do it. Um, you know they have a program, they have support there if they need it. Um, but yeah, they do. They do have a kind of training plan um, that they've they've been following and. Uh, and we've been getting the numbers, which is fun. They can do the running and all, all the sessions, and we get to look at how hard they're working over the screen. I take it there's a, a bit of competitiveness to it within the squad, and I take it that's
0: that's a good thing to have, especially when there's not actually anything that competitive to do at the moment.
1: Yeah, definitely. <laughs> um, Outrun out each other's times. Uh, you know who's getting the fastest results, and I think it's it's quite an interesting thing. Is you know a lot of people have been using things like Strava. Um, everyone's on Strava at the moment, you know, walking challenges, and it's maybe something, again, that technology showed that, you know, maybe if your team trains twice a week, that technology can really support additional sessions, it can support um, putting more professional training in place, even if you're needing to do that remotely.
0: In terms of being a coach, what's, what's the biggest satisfaction you get from from the job? When, when do you kind of get home at the end of the day and go, yeah, that's that's been good. I've enjoyed that.
1: Um I, I love seeing other people develop. Um I really enjoy seeing whether it you know, be a senior goalkeeper or a youth goalkeeper, you know, master a skill that they've maybe not done before. Um and I find it really rewarding that, you know, I've managed to be a part of that process. I've maybe helped them understand something or showed them a different way. Um I think someone said to me recently, you're either a coach or you're a guide. Um and I definitely think that I enjoy the guiding role. I think I try and support the person, you know, understand and explore kind of goalkeeping or explore, you know, learning a new different technique. But ultimately, you know, I, I get so much satisfaction of when someone achieves their goal, I, um, it, it really kind of beds in that I'm doing something right. <laughs> Do
0: you think that's pretty much a, a fundamental of coaching is if you don't feel like that, then maybe it's not not for you?
1: Yeah, I think you've got you've got to. Um, it's the small ones; um, they're not there all the time. But um, someone completing a pass that they couldn't do, you know, six months ago, or scoring with their left foot um, when they're predominantly using their right foot. These small things, um, and just seeing that development process is such a big part of being a coach. Cool. Right, I think that's lots of football chat. Um, what I always like to do is
0: finish with a little bit of food chat. Nothing too heavy, so I'm not going to ask you to recite recipes to me or anything like that.
1: But in terms of in terms of food, do you rate yourself as a foodie? Do you like do you like your scran I do like cooking. Yeah, it's my kind of go-to. It's my wind-down. Um, you go to the shops, you just fill your basket, and then just go for it. Uh,
0: I, yeah, I don't know about you, but I've found that obviously with so much time on my hands, I'm doing a lot more cooking, which I'm really enjoying. Um, what's what's your what's your favourite things to make?
1: um one of, one of my friend's parents actually has taught me how to make um like traditional curries and it's something that i've never even looked at doing before yeah. um so I've, I've been trying to develop that skill which um it's getting there it's definitely getting there it's got a wee bit of work to do yet um but yeah i'll kind of just i'll put my hand to anything um <laughs> we'll just see how it goes
0: yeah i think you kind of underestimate how much goes into a curry until you start trying to make one and you're like, have I got the 75 spices that I need to toast in one way <laughs> and mix the other way? Um, yeah. But yeah, it's quite satisfying, as you say, when you get it done. Um, what's what's kind of like your... I mean, in terms of... I'm guessing football diets are pretty much the same across mm-hmm. the board, whether you're a goalkeeper, outfielder. Is there any kind of... I'm just having your at the moment. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah, Yeah. Support. Um, is there anything as a coach that you will have input into that? Or is it something you get kind of insight of, or is it something you just kind of leave, leave in the background?
1: I think the me- the medical team are kind of best placed um, to make decisions on that. Um, you know, sometimes, you know, it, it's more smaller pieces of advice from a coaching role or, you know, giving players a wee reminder or maybe they've exerted themselves a wee bit more, so giving them a wee bit of a top-up or something. Um, but it tends to be the more medical uh, team that take a lead on that because they they understand all the fine details that you know they need in regards to their nutrition in terms
0: of your nutrition what's if you could abandon uh, in a desert island and you could only take one thing with you it can neither be a dish or a single item and it's the only thing you could have for the rest of your life what what would it be
1: what a big question that one is um probably cajun chicken cajun chicken my thing. yeah always cajun chicken any chicken with a good wee bit spiced it or wee bit something extra there um yeah i could
0: probably eat that forever that's pretty fair it's also pretty pretty standard football chat fair i've discovered kind of spicy chicken oats oats and yogurt and fruit that's also pretty big as well yeah um what about if we flip that then and you arrive in the desert island and the worst thing ever was there like the one thing you just couldn't eat and you're like oh no i'm gonna have to like starve for the rest of my life because i just can't eat it
1: Probably because I'm on a desert island, it's not going to help. But I cannot touch seafood. No, um, and I imagine that that's probably what's kicking about. Um, but no, seafood is definitely not my thing. Any any reason for that? Anything that triggers it? That? Um, no, do not I think maybe when I was younger, I ate a lot of it, and um, kept kind of put myself off it. Maybe, or maybe because I can't cook it. Um, so yeah, seafood is a no go for me. Okay, all
0: right. One of the questions I always ask in the podcast, um, Tarnock's make four products. They make the wafer, the tea cake, the caramel log and the snowball. If you only pick one,
1: uh, which one would it be? Probably a wafer. A wafer? To be, honest, to be honest, none of the above would be a go-to, if I've been honest.
0: Oh, why, um, why, why none of the above?
1: It's biscuits and all that. It's just not my thing. <laughs> it's, just, it's totally not my thing. Um, yeah, I don't even
0: think about it a biscuit now. I like biscuits and all that are not my thing. That's a good quote. I might use that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so you are kind of more if you are like wanting to snack, are you more of a, a bag of crisps and dip as opposed to a bag of sweets and some chocolate or is it just biscuits? Yeah, wee bit
1: of chip and
0: dip. wee bit of chip and, uh, and dip, you've got your bread yep. and your olives and your oil, all, all that sort of stuff. Nice, yeah. I'm a big fan of that as well. I'm definitely more of a savory. What's your if you if you
1: have have you got like a dip of choice? Like what's your chip and dip combo of choice, maybe even? Um, It's probably red Doritos and then sour cream. Yeah, that's always a go to. That's a solid.
0: That's a very solid.
1: Can't go wrong there.
0: You cannot go wrong there. Nut, spicy, a little bit of cooling down. I mean, I would, I would maybe make it the cheese and chive with the red Doritos because then you get a little bit of that as well. But yeah, no, good shout. Um, Let's say it goes really well this season, Rangers, win the Scottish Cup or the league or the or Cup if it exists when we come back who knows <laughs> um, and you are put in charge of the, the night out to celebrate Where are you
1: taking everybody uh, well, flying us over to Ibiza I think off we go um, nah I think you know it's important when you're having a lot of fun night out that you, you're you inclusive to everyone everyone might not like the same thing so making sure you've got an activity you kind of put into the night out as well that everyone can enjoy themselves and yeah and go from there
0: so is there anywhere you would maybe go, like, is there anywhere that you like, going for dinner you'd be like, yeah, why don't we go here? Throw that out there as a suggestion.
1: Um, Yeah, I used to actually work in a Greek restaurant um, and it, it's probably the best food that I've, I, I've tasted. Um, it's a lay-on on George Square, so I, I think I, I would take the team there and, you know, maybe play host, you know, get the drinks tray back up and, yeah, it's just really, really tasty food.
0: Get the plates out. Those,
1: yep. Yeah, start absolutely. them, smashing them. I yeah.
0: cannot believe I've just leaned on that stereotype. That's so bad. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, grief food's pretty good. Um, well, Nicola, thank you very much for taking the time to speak to me today. Really appreciate it. No problem at all. Um, and thank you very much for listening. If you like this, um, please give it a wee share. Um, if you listen to this, you found it on Spotify, include Google Podcasts, iTunes, all the rest. Uh, give it a good review because that helps spread the word a little bit. Um, until next time, though, stay safe. And thank you very much for listening. See bye.